Hey, ringers, you are listening to an older episode of the Put a Ring on It podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you're on a total binge and this is your 50th, thank you. You are already a ringer in our hearts. You'll hear more about ringers in future episodes. And you'll hear in season six that we launched a Patreon community for amazing ringers just like you. But because this is an older episode, you're not yet privy to that information. And we didn't want you to miss out, so please accept our invitation to join us at patreon.com slash P-A-R-O-I. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash P-A-R-O-I. Patreon is a membership platform that allows amazing listeners like you to support fun-loving creatives like us in a really big way. Yeah, you can become a supporter for as little as two bucks a month, and we've got some amazing benefits for you, like getting your questions answered, one-on-ones with Danielle and I, and a ton more. All are welcome, and we can't thank you enough for your support. Okay, now on to the show. You know what really bums me out? That there is a ton of customization available for brides and bridesmaids for their wedding attire. But when it comes to us guys, it seems like we've got way less options. That's why we love the Naughty Tie Company. Not naughty as in naughty, but naughty as in, you know, tying the knot. Yeah. Anyway, the Naughty Tie Company has ties, bow ties, and pocket squares that are totally customizable. You can match colors or patterns to things like bridesmaids dresses, flowers, your table linens, or really whatever you'd like. And everything is printed and sewn right in Denver, Colorado, which is nowhere near us here in Philly, but that's not the point. So if you go to NaughtyTie.com slash ring, they are going to hook you up with free design service from one of their amazing designers. That's easily like $20 you're going to save just for being a Put A Ring On A Podcast listener. That's K-N-O-T-T-Y-T-I-E dot com slash R-I-N-G. Hey everyone, welcome to the Put A Ring On A Podcast, a podcast for the overachiever who's not even engaged yet but still planning their wedding. I'm Daniel Moyer, wedding photographer and Apple fanboy. And I'm Danielle Pasternak, wedding planner and legit Real Housewives addict. Let's do this. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 34 of season three. 34 of season three. It wasn't that's not as good as the last episode, 33 no, with all threes. Yeah. Yes, there's nothing exciting about these numbers. But you know what is exciting? Danielle's birthday's coming up next week. Whoop, whoop. Actually, this week, because this is when the podcast comes out, Dan. Oh, right. So when we're recording this, it, it will be it's, next week. It's next week. But when it comes out, it will be this week. I'm very uh, excited personally. How young are you going to be? Well, I'm going to be older than you are for three whole months, and I'm pretty Yay. pumped about that. <laughs> That's why Danielle does all the talking. She's got more wisdom, more smarts. She's taller than me. She's just generally smarter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. three months do a lot. That's for sure. <laughs> right. Well, that's true. Being a Virgo, you know, comes with its pros and cons to any of my fellow Virgos out there that are listening. Um, I feel your pain sometimes. <laughs> my fellow list makers and perfectionists and, you know, just the general people in this world who really like their bath towels folded a very certain way. Um, I love you all very much. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Do, do, do you have? Do you experience that in, in your house, Dan? Is there like a certain, are there like certain quirks that need to be done certain ways by in order me, for everyone to be happy? By me, no. By Rachel, yes. Yes. Um, no, no. She cleans my office all the time because like it bothers her. Even though <laughs> I know where everything is, she's never in there. Um and it's where I spend all day. And she's like, see, look, at, like I'll come home from a long weekend or like this past weekend. I was I had a wedding on Friday and then another one on Sunday. So I was gone most of the weekend and I came home late Sunday night and like opened my office door and it was like spotless in there. And uh, the next morning, I think she sent me a text message. that was like, I cleaned your office. Did you see, does it look good? I organized it. Everything's exactly where it should be now. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything, in my opinion, and I think Rachel agrees, everything needs to have a home. And when everything yeah. has a home, when you need it, you just go to its home. And there it is. And when you're done with it, you put it back in its home so you know where it is the next time. I don't know that, why this is such a hard concept for some people. That's that's a, a huge <laughs> sticking point for me where like that's where uh, I, I don't think consider myself very disorganized. I'm I'm very organized in my business, but like in in like just my general 
vicinity outside of my business or my office. I just, you know, things are just are where they are um, or are where I leave them. And um, that's where my disorganization comes from is like in my office, uh, I unless something specifically has a place, like I just, it'll just sit on my desk or in the area where I put it. So that was the biggest thing that Rachel helped me with was actually finding places for things and getting rid of the other stuff that doesn't need to be there. And now my office is like, it's comfortable to be in, especially because I spend so much time in there, which you can relate to. Right, absolutely. Oh, 100%. I know when I am, like when uh, stress levels are rising and my anxiety feels higher than normal, I sort of look around me. If my office is a mess, it's always, always a trigger that once I get the office sort of cleaned up and and everything, it's it cleared off my desk. Mm -hmm. All of the brain processes just become much clearer and much easier. That's really sweet that Rachel did that, though. I think we've talked about this before, Um, but uh, Dan and I for everybody listening, we talk about love languages a lot, especially on a personal level in our own lives. And uh, both mine and Dan's wife, Rachel's is acts of service. So I think that was her like very much showing you like, just like that was her love language to you and obviously in her love language. But mm-hmm. um, I'm the same way with Mike when if I like if, if he's gone at work and I like clean the house that day, I come home and I'm like, look at what I did. He's like, <laughs> and he's I like, mean, oh, cool. Right. I mean, no, he's he's very appreciative. I shouldn't say that. But like to me, it's like the biggest deal in the world. And to him, it's like, OK, that's great. On to the yep. next thing. <laughs> Yep. Whereas if it, was, if it was reversed and I was gone somewhere and I came home to this beautifully cleaned house, which he has done before, it's like my entire insides just turned to like butter and just melt. Like it's like the most <laughs> like, oh my gosh, this is amazing feeling you in the whole world. Me. You really love me. <laughs> right, um, exactly. Yeah, if I like clean up the baby area, clean up like maybe like scoop the cat litter and like there's no dishes in the sink. I, I mean, you would have thought I would have bought Rachel like a hundred pounds of chocolate or something. Like, you know, like <laughs> uh, that definitely fills her love tank very much. Um, cat poop fills the love tank. <laughs> yep. That's it. Living the dream. Um, so what do we have on the docket for today? On the docket, um, I want to talk about. <laughs> uh, well, I want to talk about questions that we should be asking um, your venue, whether you're on the hunt for a venue or you've already got a venue selected. Um, some of these questions may or may not apply due to like the certain technicalities of each venue, but I really wanted to put together um, a list of things that that you want to be talking about just to get those conversations going and to to see where you're at. Because I think if there are questions that you don't know the answer to yet, you should know the answer to very soon so that you can make all these other decisions surrounding it. Yeah, uh, and I think you're really going to excel on this this episode. I can see you're like loving life right now and grinning ear to ear uh, by just making a list uh, of all like these amazing things that you're going to share. I do love you, me a good list. I you love do. a list. You do. I'm I'm starting to get more into lists. Like I've been adding things to my list just so I could cross them off. Right. Well, that's the point of lists. Yeah. Because well, there's like, a certain amount I of gratification of, of crossing it off. And then at the end of the day, just having everything either like cleared off or crossed off is just incredibly like, okay, my day is now yep. done. Yep. Yeah. Um, especially so, you know, we both work from home. Well, um, you know, for the most part, like we don't have a you know, we don't drive to work and work and then clock out from work and then come home. Like our work doesn't necessarily have a very clear start and stop. So for me, when I know my like, when my checklist is all cleared off, then it's like, okay, Danielle, you can, you can be done with work now. You can step (laughs) away from the computer. You've done what you set out to do. Anything else is bonus, but you're okay. Go eat lunch. (laughs) It's, it's 430, Danielle, go eat lunch. (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of checklists, What's first on the questions to ask your venue checklist list of questions to ask your venue? <laughs> yeah, no, that was very concise in how you worded that. So, so smooth. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this feels obvious, but it needs to be said. Uh, first question you need to ask is, are you available on our wedding day? Now, depending on you know, where you're at in the process, this feels like a very obvious question. But if you have a specific date in mind, I wouldn't recommend 
diving too far into looking at venues or caterers or whatever it is who who don't have your date available. Chances are usually very slim that your date will suddenly become available and you don't necessarily want to get your hopes up um, and fall in love with something if it doesn't work out for the exact date you want anyway. And really, if they're if they're not available, you can always just ask if they recommend anyone who might be. Um, some venues have sister sites that have you know, a similar vibe to them that can maybe yeah. point you in the right direction too. So that was like the yeah. obvious, obvious question, but felt it needed to be included. Yeah. And then if they are available on your day, the next thing you can ask is how many weddings or events will take place on, on that day or weekend. Now this is not, this shouldn't be like a, a sticking point um, because there are venues who, who have multiple locations on their property and many of them do a, a, a fair job of keeping um, the, the wedding separated, the guests separated. So there's no overlap and there's no confusion. But you know, if, if you want to have an entire place all to yourself, you might not want to go to one of these like giant, I hesitate to use the word wedding factory, but you know, one of these giant places that have multiple venues, um, that can house many weddings at once. Right. I think, I think what it comes down to is, well, there's a few different factors. If you're getting married at a place that has a bunch of different weddings going on at once, it's not that it's a good or a bad. It's just, does it work for you? Like, are mm-hmm. there going to be other brides and grooms walking around? Are you okay with that? Are your yeah. guests going to be uh, confused? Like, is it going to be clear as to which wedding they're at? I've done um, weddings at many venues where there are three weddings going on and you would never once see anything yep. from the other two weddings. Like, it, it they do a great job job of separating it. Others don't do such a great job, in my opinion. But I think that's something that you want to talk through and know how is that handled within the venue? And, you know, how, how is that going to make you feel like, are do you feel like you're going to get the de- attention you deserve? And if not, honestly, that's a perfect time to hire a coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think you want to get it. You want to try to get a vibe if, if like you're just going to be another number on their calendar, just another wedding that's just happened. And they're like, does it feel like a wedding factory? So just because they might have five reception venues on their property, you know, doesn't mean that they're going to be churning you through. You might still might be have a personal attention, but, um, you know, the venue may have one person designated for every single you know, every single wedding going on that day, in which case you're not going to be affected by it. Whereas right. is that one person, is there one person designated to stretch themselves across all five weddings going on right. that day? So that's the difference. Yeah. And yeah, you could also, a, oh, go ahead. That's a great question to ask is, you know, will we have a dedicated person on the wedding day and not just somebody who's floating between five different, you know, venues that uh, also have weddings on the same day, you know, are we going to have a dedicated person who knows our wedding, who can make decisions for us? And if not, hire a wedding coordinator. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that more too later on this episode. But another option too, if if budget allows, is is there an option to buy out the venue? So if a mm-hmm. venue has, say, two different rooms um, and your guest list and budget and everything allows for this to happen, you can always do dinner in one room, dancing in another. Um, I just worked at a venue recently where we did this and it was actually, it ended up being really nice. Everybody transitioned from one event to the next and it was a really good time. So um, that's an option too sometimes. You know, and speaking of all of the different numbers and amount of weddings and stuff going on, another number you really have to understand is what's the minimum slash maximum that the space you're hoping to get will hold. Right, Danielle? Right. And I think we always will say on this on this podcast that please, please, please do not invite more guests than your venue will like the max that your venue will hold. Um, I like employing a list A, a list B, a list C. That So if you have a max limit, um, that way it helps to ensure that you're not going to go over. So basically what you're doing is you're sending out all of your A-list people. And as you start to get declines, you're immediately sending out to your, to your B-list people so that you can make sure you're not going over. Cool. Um, what happens if there's a minimum though? So if your venue has a minimum that you have to hit, you want to find out what happens if you come in, if your guest count comes in below that minimum. So let's say, for example, your your venue says you have to have a minimum of 100 people. So if you come in at, say, 95 guests, you can't help that. You can't just start 
randomly inviting extra people. So in that case, you want to find out from your venue, do you just pay the difference of those, say in this case, of those five people? people and then you get nothing in return. Some venues allow you to make certain upgrades, whether it's like a longer cocktail hour or a a churro station or valet parking that you would pay for in order to make up the difference of those five people. Mm. It depends on different things, but you want to find out which, um, which avenue they go down obviously um in those two scenarios it's a better option to go with the one where you like pay to upgrade something and get something more to add to that guest experience so that actually happened a couple years ago um where they didn't hit their minimum and the venue just said hey well do you just want to add an extra hour on and they their reception got extended from like 11 to midnight and it was awesome because at 11 o'clock people were still way ready to party they were still like Plenty ready to throw down, have some more drinks and go. And it ended up being um, actually a game time call. They weren't sure what they were going to do in terms of uh, the upgrade. And they said, well, the venue said, you know, we can just wait up until almost 10 o'clock at night um, and then you can just let us know. Uh, and that ended up being great because, like I said, the the energy level just kept going up and up and up throughout the rest of the day. Uh, and it worked out nicely that they got to add an extra hour at a time when they weren't sure what to do. Right, exactly. Whenever a venue says that they have a certain minimum that you have to hit, it's not they're not concerned about how many guests are necessarily in the space as much as how much money they're guaranteed to be getting because they're right. renting out their venue on, you know, usually a Saturday evening, a very popular time. They have to make sure in order to stay in business, really, that that they're that they're bringing in a certain amount of money in order to remain profitable and remain state, you know, in order right. to stay open, which we're going to talk about again later in this episode. So <laughs> um, the next thing I want to talk about is um, what you should be talking about with your venue is if there's any outdoor events that you're planning on having there whether it's a ceremony, cocktail hour, reception, whatever it is, what is the rain plan or the plan B for that spot? And there there must be a rain plan for any outdoor event. Like it's just not an option. You have to figure out a rain plan if any part of your day is outside. Right. And for Period. some venues, right. For some venues, they'll say, well, if, you know, if your ceremony is supposed to happen out here by this beautiful lake, if it rains, we actually move the entire event inside into this building or structure. And that becomes the plan B option. For other venues, you are responsible for, for making that plan B option. And they may say, well, if it, if it rains, then it's your responsibility to get a tent to make the space more weather friendly, whatever it is. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does add to your overall budget if suddenly you're adding a couple hundred to a couple thousand dollar tent, um, you know, the final week of your wedding. That's, that's a huge hit to the wallet. <laughs> You know, and then another important detail that you really need to know is how much time you have specifically for the wedding and for setup on top of that. Exactly. So um, sometimes you have all week, like access to the venue all week. Sometimes you just have the day before. Sometimes you have just a few hours um, before the wedding is actually scheduled to begin to set up your items and have rentals delivered and have all of the pros come in from your band, your florist, caterer, all these different things. Um, either way, don't assume in any case um, how much time you have. That's something that you want to be clear on right from the get-go or as soon as possible. Right. You also need to ask, does that time include the ceremony? If you want to have your ceremony at the same location, some venues will say you have a five-hour reception. Well, does that include the ceremony? Does that also include a cocktail hour? Is it one hour, an hour and a half? Yep. And then the other thing is if you are having your ceremony on that same location, how do you rehearse for your ceremony? Now, some venues, uh, in especially in Philadelphia, um, at least the, the places I've worked at, um, they will actually do your rehearsal on the wedding day. You can't get you cannot get in there previous prior to the wedding. Um, they just block out uh, a specific amount of time, usually a half hour, about, you know, an hour or so before the ceremony. So you know, that's something to consider as you're going forward. If everything's all in one location, are you able to get in to rehearse before the ceremony? Do you have to rehearse at another location? Just something else to consider, right? Exactly. And if you're not taking first looks, if you're doing that rehearsal the same day, this can mean either you or your partner won't be able to partake in the rehearsal unless you do mm-hmm. it really, really early in the day. Um, yeah. 
another thing I like to ask whenever um, we're trying to think through timelines of the day is what time can guests start arriving, whether it's for the ceremony or the cocktail hour, whatever the first event is at the venue, because some venues won't allow the guests into the space until the minute that cocktail hour begins. Um, other venues welcome guests up to like 15, 30 minutes before the start just to be really hospitable. Um, usually in that case, the bar or appetizers might not necessarily be flowing yet, but they might be able to offer just some ice water or lemonade to sort of greet everyone and, and allow people to sort of chat and hang out in the space before the cocktail hour technically begins. And this is really important to note if your ceremony is taking place someplace else and there isn't really enough time in between the end of the ceremony and the start of the cocktail hour to do anything else. So your guests will arrive early and really this is their first impression um, of that space and of the wedding celebration. So you don't want them to necessarily, in my opinion, be like turned away at the door. You know what I mean? Yeah, so you're saying that if you have your ceremony at a church that's, you know, a couple hours before the cocktail hour even starts and your ceremony ends at like two o'clock and your your reception, your cocktail hour doesn't start till five, you're saying that most people will arrive early. Is that what you're saying? Actually, no, I'm saying that if your if your ceremony ends at like four and mm-hmm. your cocktail hour starts at like f- five Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's about a half an hour away. What's going to happen is all of those guests are going to leave your ceremony and just end up driving to cocktail hour because it's about a half an hour away. By the time they get there and park, they're going to be right. about 15 minutes early for that cocktail hour. So you want to find out what happens in that case. I don't ever really recommend putting that like weird chunk of time between between um, between your events, but sometimes you're not really in control of that. And each venue is sort of dictating what time things will start and stop. So gotcha. just something to keep in mind. Either way, I do want you to find out when your contracted time officially starts. Um, mm-hmm. Is it when the first guest arrives? Um, I do work with one venue in Pennsylvania, um, and I don't like how they do this, but they will start the clock when the first guest arrives and orders a drink from the bar. So what we have to do is keep that bar closed so that any guests that arrive even like a minute early, well, not a minute early, because that's not a big deal. But if a guest arrives like 15 minutes early and we open the bar, suddenly now the night has to end 15 minutes earlier just because, you know, one guest moseyed up to the bar, not realizing, you know, the effect that they were having. So I'm not Hmm. a big fan of that, but you do want to watch that. Some venues um, go that route. Not that I agree with it, but. You know, that's kind of stinky. So, I don't like it that. It is it is kind of stinky because you can't really control your guests. I mean, you can only do so much. And I just feel like I, I don't see what the big deal is, but yeah. whatever. So, yeah. Um, well, within that, within this time, is there a certain number or a certain time that the music will need to be turned down or turned off? And um, know that, you know, there are ordinances and things in certain counties and, and local noise ordinances that will say like, the music has to be off at this time. So even adding an extra hour might not be possible. Um, but just that's another great question to ask is, you know, what time do things need to be turned off or turned down? Completely? Right. And I think um, when you're looking at the grand scheme of things, I have a lot of couples that say like, oh, well, we have to turn the volume down at 1030, but we're going to keep the party going at 11 until 11, 1130. And what I usually advise most people, um, and it's been my experience that once the music really stops, people think people think it's over and they will start gearing up to head out. People will always sort of linger, but your energy will make a major shift um, from everybody dancing to people now just sort of winding down. It's like a cool down at the end of a workout. A major shift happens. The party can still happen, but it's, it's going to be different. Um, And I think you want to make sure that that's what you, uh, that you're good with that and on board with that. Okay. And then speaking of things closing, uh, and turning down, um, can the bar stay open to the end of the night or does it need to close early? This is really a, a venue rule, just the same as the noise ordinance thing, um, as much as it just comes down to the county or, or state rule. Some venues just have to stop serving between 30 to 60 minutes before the end of your reception. And if this is the case, it's important to know that up front. And I would always recommend providing some type of signage on the bar stating this for your guests so that as it hits that last, um, you know, the last call, if you will, um, a guest isn't walking up to the bar and giving a bartender a hard time because now the bar is closing. A lot of venues. Right. If they do have to close early, we'll put a sign. Um, some are more tactful than others, but I think there's a way that you can word it that just gives your guest a little bit of a heads up. Um, and then it's it's for safety reasons more than anything else. It's not really a, um, you know, it's not to poo-poo on your party. It's just more to keep everybody safe. <laughs> right. So going back to setup then, um, it's I think it's important 
imperative that you ask who's responsible for setting up your goodies um, and what are you responsible for setting up uh, in addition to the other stuff that you're maybe dropping off or that kind of thing. Right. So depending on your venue, like are you responsible for setting up everything from the tables and chairs and linens and candles and, you know, all these things? Or are you only responsible for your personal items? Like in most cases, you have place cards or favors or menu mm-hmm. cards or whatever it is. Um, some cases, does your venue set up your personal items too? I would recommend that if you are responsible for setting up anything yourself, that you're then a perfect candidate to bring a day of coordinator onto your team. You don't want to be setting these things up on the day of your wedding and neither does your mama. So what do you usually see most? Like what, what do things, what are the things that people, your clients usually set up themselves and what things do you usually see the venue is like generally always doing? My there, clients, my clients don't set up anything because they have me. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but if you they don't, if, you, if they don't have a coordinator, who do you? What do you usually see the venue taking care of, and what do you usually see, you know, the couple taking care of? More often than not, and this may be very regional, but in what I've seen here, the venue is responsible mostly for setting up the tables, chairs, and linens. If they're catering, they are also setting up the, you know, the dishes and silverware and glasses. Um, the personal items that the couple brings, um, as long as it's not anything too major, sometimes the venue sets up. Sometimes the venue says a person from, you know, the wedding has to be responsible for setting up. Uh, usually, gotcha. in, in my experience, because there's obviously always a coordinator on every wedding I work at, go figure. Um, <laughs> I, I, the venue, I think, can has a, they have a tendency to do less because I'm there because they know I will do, I will do it, um, which is mostly <laughs> fine by me. Um, mm-hmm. But that's I've only experienced that because I've only been the coordinator on a wedding. So, mm-hmm. and another question you have to ask is what restrictions does your venue have? And a bit, a huge one is actually candles. Like a lot of old historic venues, barns, um, things like that will just not allow you to have real candles. You can use those LED candles or like the electric flicker flame ones. Um, and they still look great, but you know, that's something that you might just not think about off the top of your head that there are restrictions or, um, another thing you, you, a lot of places you can't tape or, or nail or staple things to the walls. Um, so asking specifically what you can and cannot do in terms of decorating things like that is a, is another important question because it is their space, you know? Right, exactly. You don't want to damage anything, obviously, at the end of the day. So I think to expand on this more, I also want you to ask what's included for the the rate that you're paying. Um, are you, so you are you responsible for bringing in those tables, chairs, linens, dishes, silverware, glasses? Does that come already with the venue? Right. So then on the but on the food front, then how many appetizers, how many courses, dessert, bar, alcohol, um, what what is included in that part of things, too? Do you need to bring outside food and beverage or can you even bring outside food um, and booze? Remember, head back and check out episode 31 if you have to provide your own alcohol and what that looks like. And you can actually fill out this really awesome little uh, spreadsheet that we have and we'll be able to tell you exactly what is exactly we're telling them, Danielle? <laughs> we're telling them how uh, much beer, wine, uh, liquor, champagne, and ice they should purchase for their wedding based on their guest count, based on the time of year, based on uh, you know how many uh, the average drinking, how how boozy your family is. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I knew you would say that a lot better than I could. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that was much better than you said it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's a, that's a big thing. Like, obviously, this is if your venue provides food. Um, right. On the other side of things, like from a staffing perspective, do they provide mm-hmm. wait staff, bartenders, dishwashers, a cleanup crew, bathroom attendants, valet attendants, maitre d's, banquet captains? Um, yep. We talked about this a little bit before, but is there a venue coordinator? Um, um, actually, this is something I remember talking with on the episode with Bree Ryback. Um, that a venue coordinator is completely different than an independent planning coordinator, right? Right. So a venue coordinator's 
only responsible for the items pertaining to the venue itself, nothing outside of it. And most planners work alongside venue coordinators all the time without duplicating efforts. So just because your venue has a coordinator, don't look at it as, well, I have a wedding planner, I'm all set, because the two jobs are very, very different, though they rhyme and sound very different. They are very, very different. Right. I, would it be safe to say that the venue coordinator is generally looking to make things go smoothly through the venue and coordinating specifically with the venue, but they're ultimately ultimately looking out for the venue's interests, making things flow smoothly from their perspective. And then you or the independent wedding planner, or wedding coordinator is looking out for the client off on all fronts to make sure everything runs smoothly. Right. Is exactly. That- exactly. To give like just to break it down what I think is fairly easy is like the venue coordinator is making sure the salads are going out on time. Uh, the, the, the DJ knows has enough power to go to the thing. They're, they're making sure all of those things are happening. The independent coordinator is getting the band aid for the bridesmaid who suddenly has a blister on her foot or fixing the bride's bustle because it broke or making sure that like dad's in the room before the toast is about to begin. Like all of these little things, um, we're working throughout the day to make sure that everything is happening as it needs to be. But the venue coordinator is focused on the things that have to do with the venue and the coordinator um, slash planner is basically focusing on everything else. Uh, (laughs) You know, like I'm the one getting the calls, um, you know, from the driver, the limo driver or the bus driver who's bringing all the guests saying like, okay, we're dropping off and, and we need to, you know, do we have everybody? Like I'm the one making sure all that's happening. It's not the venue coordinator making sure that's going on. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And to just to sort of like talk about one last thing um, before we talk even more about food, but I want to talk about is tip included. So we're talking about mm. what's included is tip included. So if, and this is specifically if the venue is providing um, more than just an actual four walls and a roof, um, if they're providing like a wait staff and, and food and all of these things. Um, I do want to say if you're looking at your bill or your invoice, that service charges and gratuity are two very different things. Hmm. So if you see on your, on your um, whether you're looking at your banquet event order or just your final invoice from the venue that has, all, you know, it has things that's usually pretty line itemed out. If you see something on there that says service charge, um, that likely goes towards your staff, but it's not necessarily a gratuity. So you want to um, still talk with your contact at the venue and say, is should we figure an additional gratuity? Roughly how much do you recommend? Um, or, or they say, you know what, some venues pay their staff a much higher amount to figure in the fact that they're likely not going to receive a tip as a server would in a, in a traditional restaurant. Gotcha. Okay. So we talked a little bit about booze. We talked a little bit about the staffing. Let's talk a little bit more about food. Like, like where does it come from, right? Like you've got local, organic, uh, what are the other options? Farm to table or frozen, right? Right. Where is your food coming from? I think if, if food's an important thing to you, and this is a question if you're not working with, um, you know, if your venue doesn't provide the food and you're working with a caterer, this is a great question to ask them as well, um, if, it, if it means something to you. Um, I think another good question is what happens with any leftover food? Um, oh, man. Do, do you get it? Is it donated? Is it just thrown out? You'd be surprised how many people just throw it out. <laughs> that sounds like such a waste. If so much stuff is thrown out, hmm. do you want to you want to talk about waste? Do you want to, do you know you've no idea how much wedding cake gets thrown away at every single wedding? It's disgusting, not yeah. disgusting. It's it's heartbreaking because it's cake and cake should never be thrown out. <laughs> um, uh, but speaking of that, um, if your venue doesn't provide the cake, you have an outside cake brought in. Can they cut it? Can they serve it? Um, is there an additional fee to do that? It's not uncommon to have what's called a cake cutting fee. Um, which all of these little things will just start adding up. And and they're not bad things. It's just things you want to be aware of so that as you're figuring your budget and you're making all these other decisions, you can make it based on what you know and what you can expect from your venue. Another thing you should uh, expect or figure out is do they do tastings and is it additional if they do or don't? Um, Danielle, you've had some yeah, experience this- with this, right? Yeah, it actually surprises me when venues or even caterers don't do tastings of some kind. I don't know how else you're supposed huh. to know if you like their food and their presentation or their food, unless, of course, you've seen them at another event. But still, it just it blows my mind sometimes the pushback that I see couples receive when couples are like, well, don't we get a tasting? Um, and it's not necessarily that they're asking for huh. a free tasting, just something 
you know, they're happy to pay for it, but just something where they can try and test a few things out. That's not yeah. necessarily super common, um, but I have seen it and it always like makes my, it makes me do that like confused face emoji. Like, huh? yeah, it, it, it seems like a, a, just a logical thing that you want to um, get an understanding of their experience. I mean, when, that was part of our, our, our favorite part of our um, planning process. I mean, you know, we go through the whole entire process. I feel like you're just like shelling out money, just more money, 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 money. And it was fun to like kind of wine and dine for a little bit. I mean, you know, Rachel's parents lived in, uh, lives in South Carolina and my parents were really excited to come down with us to go to the tasting. Um, we were allowed to bring two people separately and, uh, Rachel and I are also vegetarian, so we couldn't eat like the chicken or the fish or the, um, <laughs> you know, beef. So we needed two other people in order to eat the food. Um, but then we got to like test out a bunch of the different appetizers and we got to choose which appetizers we wanted. We tested out, um, the various different entrees. And my parents said, you know, we really like this one. We really like this one. And it was just fun. Um, and it was exciting. We had a really great venue that they delighted in, in, uh, showing us their service, showing us what they were very good at. And then, um, replicating, that service on a much larger scale on the wedding day and it was fun so um you know if you can do a tasting i highly recommend it it's fun to like finally get to do something tangible um during your wedding planning process when you're generally just shelling out all this money um in order to get something and feel special in addition to the wedding day you know right and i think uh just to give a flip side of this when when a venue is saying we're not going to do that um just to give you like a a good example of when that happened i did a wedding at a restaurant in philly last year and the restaurant was a restaurant the couple dined at many times enjoyed it and therefore that's why they picked it to have their wedding but when it came time to picking the menu the venue very clearly said the chef picks the menu based on what's seasonal and in market that week so while they were able to say we sort of would like our guests to have an option between a this and a this, um, it really came down to the chef making the final call as to exactly what was going on the plate. Um, and I think if I remember correctly, it was actually ended up being family style. So there was more than enough food for to make everybody happy. And the food was really, really good. Um, but that was just an example of 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 a time where the couple didn't get to have a tasting, but that was why. That said, right. though, they also ate at that restaurant before and and knew what level to expect. So uh-huh. that's sort of what it comes down to. Yeah, and I guess also you have to understand, um, if we're speaking specifically about the wedding day, is uh, how long is does your typical dinner service take? Does the uh. venue specifically take for dinner service? And this is something that um, whenever I'm talking to couples, maybe – uh, you know, a, a month or so before the wedding. Um, and they're trying to put together like a timeline of events and they say like, wow, we really just want to have like people dance and relax and have fun. Um, you know, and then speaking specifically on the wedding day, another thing you really got to factor in is how long the typical dinner service at your venue actually will take. Now, if you have like a, you know, if you're having a four hour reception and they expect dinner to be three hours that only leaves like an hour open for dancing so is that something that you're okay with does that fit your priorities what do you think danielle right um obviously three hours feels like a really long time um and i would hope like that's an extreme example but most dinners in my experience for weddings where you have roughly between like 120 200 guests um it usually takes about an hour to an hour and a half from start to finish and i know I know. So like, I think a lot of times what happens is as couples are thinking through their timeline of events of the day, they go, well, when we go out to eat, you know, we're usually at a restaurant for like maybe an hour and that's like waiting for our food and like finishing up and paying the bill. So it shouldn't take more than like 45 minutes for, you know, for all of our guests to eat. But what they don't realize is your venue has to serve, excuse me, your venue has to serve all X amount of your guests, 100, 200, 300, whatever, roughly at the same time that's very yep. hard for a kitchen to do and it it just takes longer than two people ordering dinner at a restaurant so i really think it's so important to to make sure you go into it with the realistic expectations and like dan said talking to your venue about what's your priority so that you know hmm. you know 
you know what to expect and you can you can set up the rest of your vendors. So if you say, you know what, like, dear venue, we love your food, but we really won't, don't want to drag out the dinner to be any longer than it has to be. What's like the minimum? Like, how, what's right. the fastest we can make this happen? Because we right. really just want to like dance our heinies off all night long. Yeah. And that's that's very similar to what we did for our our wedding. Um, and but within reason, like you can't just say, hey, um, here is what we really want to do. Can you have dinner done in a half hour? No, that that's just impossible. So what we did is we said, hey, um, we really love your food. You're amazing. Um, we want to have the most time possible for our guests to dance uh, uninterrupted or or catch up or enjoy the view that your awesome venue gives is it possible to have generally everything done within an hour is that possible and they right. said we're going to do our best and they ended up making it happening um but it was just the thought that counted that they that they heard us and said yes we're going to try to make this happen for you it's a little short but for what we compare what we usually do but we're going to try our best to make it happen and thankfully they did and we were we were able to have three hours of uninterrupted party dance and hanging out which we right. loved which and which i have to say from uh, an event planning perspective three hours of just dancing is yep. actually a really long time i like two mm -hmm. hours i feel like two hours is a sweet spot that's it you you and rachel are big dancers and your, your <laughs> group was big dancers and everybody yeah. had a great time Very uh, true and and to, to compromise if your venue says well our our dinner service takes three hours that's our process we have multiple courses yada yada um, that's when you step back and start working with your DJ or band and say okay we're having multiple courses how can we still entertain yep. people throughout these courses so it doesn't necessarily feel like a three-hour sit-down dinner unless of course that's what you want but if you right. want people get up and get dancing a lot of times you can find a really nice balance in having the salad then getting everybody up and dancing meanwhile yep. the staff clears the salad and starts bringing out entrees sit down eat your entree come out you know like whatever it is you could just keep people yep. dancing so it's not the end of the world you just want to see what your options are and so you go into it with the with clear expectations mm -hmm. well said well said. Thanks. Um, hmm. Here's one that I think is a completely we're, – so we're transitioning from food and that kind of thing to right. a completely different topic, which is wedding pros. And some venues require that you use somebody from their preferred vendor list, right? So I guess the question is, like, what, what pros can you work with? Um, and does the vendor – does and does the venue care – who you decide to work with and who you bring into their space. Right. Some, some will some will say you have to work off of a list. Some say they could care less. Um, some may require that, as, you know, you could pick who you want as long as that the pro provides like a certificate of insurance. It, it just depends. But like if you have someone, like if you have a photographer that you absolutely must work with, but mm -hmm. like your venue says you can only work from, you know, you can only work with these photographers from a list, then possible red flag. Maybe that venue isn't the best fit for you. Yeah, and going back to your certificate of insurance, you know that's that's not uncommon. I get that all the time. Um, and if your wedding pro can't or won't provide this for you, that's a red flag um, that you should definitely be concerned about. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because um, well, it says they don't have insurance, which they should. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, so I feel like we touched on this a couple of times, um, but maybe we can expand on this a little bit, which is how does cleanup work? Right. So we touched on this, like you said, briefly about two episodes ago in episode 32, where we talked about the top 15 wedding regrets. And really what we were talking about in that sense was you don't want to be the one cleaning up after your wedding. And I think it's so easy for us to focus on the setup of everything and just totally yep. forget that when everything yep. is all said and done, it will need to get cleaned up. So depending on your venue, some venues you have to have everything cleaned up as soon as the event's over. Sometimes you have a half an hour. <laughs> I was once given a half an hour when it took us eight hours to set everything up. And the venue came to us at the end of the night and said, by the way, you have to be out of here in half an hour. And I could have cried. But anyway. Um, Did you get some, it done? Yeah, we got it done. We got it done with the help of a lot of like awesome groomsmen and bridesmaids who, oh. who just started like chipping in because we originally told that we just had to have everything out by 10 o'clock the next morning. And then the venue decided that they didn't want to have to come back the next morning. So it was that's sweet. It was a crappy thing on the venue's part and everybody just came together. It, I, 
they brought a trailer full of stuff to the wedding. The couple did like that was just how much stuff there was to clean up. They made their wow. own tables. They made all of their own centerpieces. They made they made everything. They made their own photo booth. They made everything themselves. And you know it all takes time to to set up. It takes much less time to clean up. But it was it was a lot and it was insane. Um, but yeah, so do you have to clean up that night? Can you come back the next day to pick up your stuff? Can you come back the next two days? You know, what is sort of the structure as far as what needs to happen? Um, you know, in, in my case, it was it was a lot because there was a lot of furniture and draping and a lot of DIY yep. elements. But if you just have a few items, it could maybe take 15, 20 minutes and, and you're done. But either yep. way, it can be a really exhausting job to try and execute yourself after a long day. So again, another perfect time to hire a coordinator who can help with this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's not necessarily a bad thing if you have to do it yourself. Some, how often do you see couples have to do things themselves? Not, not literally themselves, but like their wedding party, their parents. How often do you see that or hear about that? That they have to clean up themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not uncommon that the venue says like you have to get all of your stuff out of here. So what do you do if you're not a wedding coordinator? If the, if the couple does not hire a wedding coordinator, how do you go about doing this? Do you try to rely on some friends um, to do it? Do you uh, do it yourself? Do you like can you hire somebody other to come right. in? Like can you give like some, you know, high school kids uh some money to like come in and throw stuff in a bin like what what do you do i don't know How do dan you can you this? give can you give a high school kid a camera and just have him take pictures for your wedding day <laughs> i think that's a different story um well no i think i think what it comes down to is um all of your belongings i hands down whoever unpacks your belongings that person is the best person to repack your belongings because they know how it all came out and where it came from but if there's not a coordinator it's very often falling to the roles of a parent um friends are great to rely on however if they've been drinking all day uh, sometimes it just doesn't work out so great and they either don't care or they're they're not really focused and you know you just sort of want to get it done and get out of there but it it's not uncommon for it to fall to a parent um, because that's what parents do, right? They 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 sweep in and they fix things and they make it, you know, they clean up, right? Yep. So yeah, okay. but all in all, I, I, if you have a large cleanup where you just need some muscle, where you're just breaking down, you need someone to break down tables and chairs, that is an excellent opportunity to reach out to some like local football teams, whatever it is to say, hey, can I pay you like 40 bucks to come at the end of my wedding and like work for an hour to just break everything down and stack it up into a pile in that case. Yep. Yes. But you still need someone sort of directing them because it totally. can get, it can get really chaotic. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I was just what curious, like how, like what you've seen when your team is not, you know, the one breaking things down um, <laughs> and how that would happen. You know, it's not often where I'm uh, at a wedding that I'm not working. Even the wedding that I attended recently as a guest at the end of the <laughs> night, I was getting everybody on the bus and making sure my aunt had everything packed up that she needed. And it's hard for me not to step in. <laughs> you can take the wedding out of the planner, but you can't take the planner out of the wedding. Or vice versa. I don't know which way that makes sense. But I don't yeah. know. I was trying to do something creative there, but I don't think it no, came no. out right. <laughs> that was great. No, no. That was good. Super <laughs> smart. Super good. All right. <laughs> let's, let's knock out this last question. Obviously, there's like a million questions. But anyway, um, the last thing I, I want you guys to ask, and boy, do I know this is a gross subject, but I yeah. want you to ask them what their cancellation policy is. It's important to know, right? Like you you have to know regardless. Um, right. Be and, and, and because for many reasons, this isn't necessarily yeah. that you're no longer getting married. It's maybe something happened. Maybe you decide to elope. Maybe you decide, you know, maybe there's a, a health situation. There's so many different reasons. Um, but I think it's good to know. It's a lot of money that you're investing and it's important yeah. to, uh, to be clear on it. And if you're not... Um, and if you want to, there's also policies out there, insurance policies um, for wedding cancellation insurance. Yeah. Um, WedSafe in particular, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, um, is a big one. Um, and there's a few others out there that can help in situations like that. 
Yeah, and expanding on that a little bit, but you know what happens in emergencies, power outages, things like that. Um, you know, and bad weather. I mean, uh, if you go back to episode four, which is our bad weather episode, you'll you'll hear about Kristen and Joe, whose wedding reception was canceled um, because the venue lost power. There was like you know a crazy amount of snow and downed power lines and all kinds of things. Um, so go back and listen to that uh, if you haven't yet. But you know. Um, their venue came through and gave them another reception the following day. But, you know, this is just things you want to be prepared for. What's your favorite saying, Danielle, about um, the more that you plan for a rain plan, the less likely you are to have to use it? <laughs> exactly. The more you plan for rain, the less, you know, the less likely you'll need that plan. So I actually have a, a funny story. I don't know if it's funny. I guess it's funny now. Um, we did a wedding a few weeks ago that... Um, Right as the ceremony was about to start, this insane, insane thunderstorm just blew through the area. Jeez. We already made the call to move the ceremony inside, so we were all safe there. Um, the music starts, everybody starts walking down the aisle, and just as the bride was about to walk down the aisle, we lose uh. power. So... Um, really, it wasn't a huge deal. The only thing that it really affected was the fact that we suddenly lost the use of the microphone. But otherwise, we had candles lit everywhere, so it was still really beautiful. But... Mm. We just paused for a second and I turned around and I looked at the venue coordinator because this is, you know, this is her wheelhouse. And I was like, what's the protocol? Like, can can we keep going or like, is there a certain like I like <laughs> what's the protocol in, in this case? Like, can I send this bride down the aisle? And she was like, yep, we're just she just like gave me this really big smile. And she's like, yes, we're just going to give it one second and then we're going to proceed. And she was super calm, cool as a cucumber, because that's what we're supposed to do. And um, within a few seconds, the power came right back on. The microphone kicked back in. The musicians just kept playing and all was well. And the bride walked down the aisle and I turned to her and she's like, after the bride goes, so now we're just back in this room all by ourselves. The ceremony sort of happening. And she goes, oh, my gosh, Danielle. She's like, that has never happened before. I had no idea what to do. <laughs> And I was laughing because we both just like, you know, neither one of us panicked because that's, you know, it's our job to stay like, you know, in control of everything because we didn't want the bride to freak out and the bride stayed really yep. cool. Um, but like, it was just so funny because like, she was just like, no, everything is great. <laughs> and as soon as I left, she's like, that's never happened in all the years I've worked here. And I had no idea what we were going to do. And oh my God, that was awful. She's like, Always thank God the it. power came back on. Always keep it cool in front of the couple. Exactly. Cool. It was really funny, though, because like it, we just couldn't help but laugh because it's just like, oh, OK, that works, too. Um, and we would have figured it out, but it was funny. Yeah. Um, I guess the final kind of crappy question to have to ask um, is what's the contingency plan if the venue goes out of business or just just what happens if the venue goes out of right. business? Right. And the answer very well, very well may be that you're just screwed. Um, a handful of venues in New Jersey actually just shut down, leaving couples to scramble to find a replacement. And a lot of them are out that money. But again, that's where that insurance comes into play. Um, yep. In most cases, that will help you out. And uh, that sort of wraps up this episode. But mm -hmm. I do want to say that, like, obviously, this is not an extensive list of questions by any means. But um, our friends over at Offbeat Bride actually have a really great list that they put together that I would say covers about 95% of the things, if not more, that you want to <laughs> be asking. Um, cool. I will put a link to their um, to that article that they wrote in the show notes for today's episode if you want to check out that a little bit more. So let's wrap up this episode. Check out our website, putaringonitpodcast.com, so you can check out the show notes and all the good stuff and keep updated on season three. Mm -hmm. And special thanks to our sponsor for the season, the Naughty Taiko, which offers those beautiful custom ties, bow ties, and pocket squares. You can send us your wedding story at 267-521-2686 or visit putaringonitpodcast.com slash contact. Mm -hmm. And keep those questions coming. We are putting together another Q&A episode just like we did in season mm -hmm. one for the end of this season. And we're getting a lot of questions via email. So keep them coming. Um, I usually recommend keeping them short and sweet, like no more than mm -hmm. a few sentences that we can really dig into it a little bit further. But feel free to ramble on. We don't mind any bit of rambling. <laughs> Uh, obviously, we don't mind any bit of rambling. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That would be pretty like hypocritical if we minded rambling. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in this week. We really appreciate you listening. Um, we will see you guys in two weeks. Bye-bye. Booyah.
Dan, ask me ask me the secret to a good joke. Danielle, what's the secret to a timing? Good joke? <laughs> so ridiculous. Thanks. <laughs> timing. <laughs> that was good. I like that one.